Good morning and welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. My name is Brian Kiley and I'll be leading the service today and I'm very, very glad that you're here. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, religious, multi-generational community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the individual heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on Treaty 6 lands. A treaty is an inheritance. It's a responsibility and a continuing relationship. So let us be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to our children. If you're new here, welcome very much. We invite you to stay afterwards for coffee and conversation and to get to know us, and I'd love to meet you. If you have not already done so, please visit the information tables out in the foyer. They have lots of useful stuff that you might wish to read, and uh, it'll help you get to know our movement and community a little better. And so we begin this special hour together, and I invite you to quiet your electronic devices so that we can all enjoy the service further. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but are connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. And since this is a service about Christmas traditions over long periods of time that started long before we were born and will go on long after we leave. So we begin with a time of contemplation and music with a prelude, but it's not deep and thoughtful music, but it is seasonal. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be On your own front door A pair of hop-along boots And a pistol that shoots As the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that will talk and will go for a walk Is the hope of Janice and Jen And Mom and Dad can hardly wait For school to start again It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go There's a tree in the Grand Hotel One in the park as well The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start And the thing that'll make them ring Is the carol that you sing Right within your heart 
Crosby is part of my family Christmas tradition. And judging by the number of people singing, it wasn't just my family who had that album. <laughs> Margaret Starkey writes, With mounds of greenery, the brightest ornaments, we bring high summer to our rooms, as if to spite the somberness of the winter come. In time of want, when life is boarding up against the next uncertain spring, we celebrate and give of what we have away. All creatures bend to rules, even the stars constrained. There is blessed madness in the human need to go against the grain of cold and scarcity. We make it a holiday, the rituals as varied as the hopes of humanity, the reasons as obscure as ancient solar festivals, and as clear as the joy on one small face. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard me offer a reading written by one of our members and and quote her extensively in the sermon. And she wasn't there to be able to be there because she was at that moment pretty much giving birth. And so as our chalice lighters and Advent wreath lighters today, I'd like to invite Oksana and Mike and Frederick to come forward. Hey, you guys. We light this chalice to brighten the season and to make hearts merry and bright. And then if you go over there and wait for me to do a, the reading, if you'd look in your orders of service, you'll see the, uh, our Advent wreath candle. You'll see that there's an italicized portion for you to read at the bottom. Each week until Christmas, we light a new candle on the Advent wreath. The circle of greenery reminds us of the eternal cycle of all life without beginning or end. This morning we light the second candle as a symbol for our longing for peace. We bring our hope into the world when we practice peacemaking. Our caring community aspires to be a source of freedom from violence and exclusion. As June Jordan writes, may we become the ones we have been waiting for. Together we may strive to create lasting peace. Thank you. And welcome, Frederick. Every Christmas season deserves a new baby. But first, if you would join in uh, hymn number 225, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
I have a Christmas carol joke for you. I saw on Facebook the other day. How many syllables does the word Gloria have? For Catholics, it's 18. That's right. I'd like to invite uh, our young people forward to come light their chalices, and uh, then we will use the uh, song sheet that you were given to sing them out. Our community is entirely self-supporting. We pay our own bills. We pay our own way. We pay our minister to live in grand extravagance. (laughs) And so we take an offering each week to support the work of this church. But we also are aware that an important part of our mission is to be part of the community beyond the walls. If everything we do stays here, it's not exactly pointless but it's really not carrying what we find here out into the world. So we share half of the unidentified cash that comes into the plate each week with an outside organization. And for the month of uh, December, we are giving it to RISE. And this is where it was a bad idea to not have the order of service because you can read what RISE means. But what I can tell you is that RISE is something that a that arose from the reconciliation process, the truth and reconciliation process. And this is an organization that works in our community to try and push that process forward, to keep it from being something other than just a piece of paper or a ceremony or a speech or something like that, to try and truly rebuild the reconciliation between First Nations and everybody else. And so it's very useful, very helpful. And so we invite you to, uh, to give as generously as you can, if you can. Many of our church members you won't see filling the plate necessarily because they give by monthly or they give by checks or they give by preauthorized debit and all of those good things. But we invite you to give generously and uh, feel free to sing along while they're collecting money.
Christmases be white. truly wonderful and great Christmas carols that, like so many truly and wonderful great Christmas carols, were written by Jewish men from New York. It's true. It's true. The other thing about Irving Berlin was that he was smart enough to know that when he had something that was going to become a standard, he only wrote one verse. Because we only know one verse, right? So you're going, ah, why bother? Let's not write the other one. Sing it twice. It'll be fine. Let us receive the offering and join along singing the words printed in the order of service. Number 238, Within the Shining of a Star, 238. I invite you to rise as you're willing or able and join in singing as you're willing or able. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. There was once a cartoon in the Edmonton Journal. The three magi are walking away from the stable and one says, I got a million dollar lawn ornament idea. (laughs) 
The crib, or crash, is indeed the most ubiquitous symbol of the Christian Christmas holiday in the world. It dates reportedly from 1223, when St. Francis of Assisi created the first nativity pageant with real people and real animals. That scene has been recreated in countless Christmas pageants and entire Christmas village recreations in many parts of the world. And there are crash scenes constructed from every conceivable art medium you can imagine, from welded nuts and bolts to knitted figures to Lego stables to, well, it's as far as the imagination can stretch. Some are gorgeous, some are touching, some are unrepentantly tacky. It's not just that it is a definable symbol of the day. It is the concrete depiction of a myth, the magical story made real. Of all the aspects of the Jesus story, it's the part that's most accessible to children and adults alike. And it comes with the added benefits of both enough parts, if you add angels and sheep, to easily cast an entire elementary school class with no lines to memorize. (laughs) I was a shepherd. But the little home-sized crushes have another aspect. They're interactive. My love affair with the crib, as we called it in my long-ago childhood home, began when I was very young. It was an important part of our family Christmas tradition. On December 22nd, Dad would bring home the tree, and he and my brother would go about stringing those finicky old hand-me-down lights, the ones that were in sequence, so if one went out, you had to check every single bulb, while we all listened to Bing Crosby's White Christmas album. And meanwhile, my much older sister and I unpacked the family crib and set it up in our unused fireplace. Visually, it was very close to this one here today, though our set had somehow managed to acquire three angels somewhere along the way, and devising ways to float them above the crash was always kind of fun. Year after year, throughout the holidays, I was such a nerdy kid. I played with those figures. I moved them about. I redesigned the tableau, played some of the parts, told myself the story again and again. We didn't have the phrase back then, but it was an interactive experience. It was much easier to connect and relate to this part of the Jesus myth than the whole death and resurrection thing that would come three or four months later. But I grew up and I moved away from home, leaving our crib behind. Not too long after that, I left Catholicism behind as well. Thirty years would pass before I had children of my own and began to wonder how to connect them with my family traditions, with a family that lived 3,000 kilometers away. It was my younger child who inevitably always would ask me to tell stories from my childhood who gave me the clue. It's one of her very favorite things. Dad, tell me about when you were young. Tell me a story. And sooner or later, the Christmas season rolled around, and she asked what it was like when I was young, and I told her about the crib. And the two kids looked at me and said, what's a crib? Huh, Unitarian kids. In a flash, I knew two things. 
I needed to pass on my family, personal history to them, and I needed to teach them more about Jesus simply as a matter of cultural literacy. And yeah, I wanted to make sure that the spirit of Christmas was about more than presents and greed. So the next day, I wandered into a church supply store and checked out their wares, and it didn't take me long to find this one, the one that was closest to the one I'd grown up with. Now, that first year, I had to show them how to set it up and tell them the story. But for several years after that, they took over with interesting results. And whenever we went to Candy Cane Lane, my younger daughter always made us stop and pay an extended visit to the life-size stable at St. John's Catholic Church. They even had a camel you could sit on. The crib was even the scene of my elder daughter's first four-year-old wordplay joke. I walked into the living room to find the two of them sitting beside the crib and giggling like mad things. I took a look and saw that the infant Jesus had been replaced by a baby bell in its red wrapper. (laughs) What's this? I asked. The baby cheeses, she said. And they both burst into gales of laughter. New family lore was born with that joke. And isn't that the point of Christmas traditions? To have things that anchor us to past and present? Together we create stories, and because those tales are tied to a very few specific days in the calendar, they become annual reminders to tell them once more to family and friends while listening to Bing Crosby's White Christmas album, at least at my house. For me, these traditions connect my long-deceased parents to the grandchildren they never knew. I share the stories of their growing with my faraway siblings. Memories and spiritual ties are forming that will stay with my children for a lifetime. I've been quite intentional about trying to give them good memories and positive traditions to fill their world. Of course, there are also memories of trying to work out Christmas after separation and divorce, and then remarriage with a whole new set of traditions coming into play. How are we going to work it out? Which traditions are going to be prominent? Which traditions are going to be in the background but still there? And which traditions have to be discarded? More importantly, what memories are going to stick for these young people Not just the two I had, but all of the young people in my family now. I can't control that. All I can do is try to give them some positive images, some positive memories to hang on to. And one of them begins with a cheesy Christmas display of events that probably never even happened. So that's why I have a crib. Not for religious purposes, but to pass on family and tradition a tradition that rests lightly, I hope, because it is not meant to be burdensome. Tradition at its best is something we inherit or invent, enjoy, and choose to repeat. Choose to repeat. And sometimes we're welcomed into existing holiday habits and embrace them. Sometimes we cross religions and embrace other types of holidays because Everyone knows that there are festivals from every religious tradition happen in the winter. Sometimes the traditions we inherit don't sit right or don't fit, and we have to let them go. That's the way it should be. 
Tradition should be a positive connection to the past, not a rigid, dead ritual that must be followed. Lifeless repetitions are not traditions. They are joyless weights. Weights that serve something that is not really us. That's one reason why I like being a Unitarian. We tend to feel pretty free to mix and match and adapt as needed and reject as necessary and even 10 or 20 years ago to invent a whole new series of holidays based on our principles called Chalika. There is an old joke. What's a Unitarian tradition? Anything we did once before. (laughs) At best, it's best, I think, when tradition is not a heavy burden of obligation, but a gift, a gift of memory and connection that hangs upon us but lightly, like a snowflake. Too often the obligations of the past become hurtful. That's one of the many reasons why Christmas can be so hard for some people. Each December 23rd for the past 21 years, This congregation has hosted a blue Christmas service, especially for people who struggle with the season. This tree remains unlit as all the other Christmas lights are turned off. The lights are low. We sing no carols. We don't say, Merry Christmas. It's a service where where people are given the space to say, Christmas doesn't always work for them or never works for them and that some memories are hard, were hard to endure and are even harder to recall years later. And sometimes those memories were, in fact, caused by the enforcement of traditions that perhaps never should have been in the first place. And so at Blue Christmas, we acknowledge those burdens and some of the other reasons why Christmas can be hard, reasons like anxiety around expectations, grief for those we've lost, unhappy childhood memories. We come together quietly in a room full of people who have similar problems and who understand. It's a place where we can bear witness to the pain and have the shadow honored. No one tries to jolly us out of it there. And because of that, maybe the weight is lessened a little bit. And face it, there are lots of ways, lots of reasons for people to feel crappy or Scrooge-like or grinchy or maybe they just want it all to go away and leave them alone. The thing is, the more people try to deny those memories, the more they try to hide them in the closet of their personal attics, the more toxic they become. Ignored, they haunt Christmas after Christmas like Marley's ghost. Mystics and medics have known for centuries that the only way to heal from poison carried in the body or the soul is to lance it, let it out, clean the wound carefully, and let healing begin. Some traditions just have to be let go, rejected even, and that's okay. Some people feel healthier once they get over the terror of just saying, No, I'm not going to be there this year. And let's be honest, we've all altered or adapted to traditions we have inherited at least a little bit and often a lot. I know I have. I've rediscovered the crib, but I've let a whole bunch of others go that no longer suited my relationships or my circumstances. 
My dad and my two siblings and I used to spend Christmas afternoon visiting our many relatives, all spit-polished and dressed up and on best behavior. And partly it was to give mom a little quiet time to work on the turkey. But some of the visits were okay. But a lot of them, for a very young child, felt forced and awkward and kind of creepy. There was little joy. There was only duty. I wanted to be home playing with my new toys. I don't do that visiting anymore. I try to make Christmas Day as relaxed as I possibly can, with as few burdens as possible. Besides, those relatives are deceased or scattered, and I just haven't replaced that obligation. In truth, some of those visits were pretty horrible. Tradition lost, but not mourned. Where and how my Christmas has been celebrated has shifted and morphed to better fit traditions and realities. I've moved. I lived in many different cities and a couple of countries. I've been in several relationships. Things change. They have to adapt. Sometimes there's been uh, only a family of friends for Christmas celebrations. Sometimes not even them. And over time, the shape of my closest family has changed a lot. I haven't given up the things I love about the holiday. I just don't need every one of those traditions to be front and center and exactly as it used to be anymore because the past is gone. A crib in a quiet corner, a treasured ornament or two on the tree, good food which may or may not be turkey but can also be a pancake breakfast, the opening of gifts when we can get everybody together, These are the adaptations that help Christmas remain an important time of love and warmth and memory for me. The best traditions enhance the season, support the moment. They don't take over and run the show. I'm a Unitarian. Tradition is something I did once, or maybe that other people have done before and have graciously invited me to participate whether it's Hanukkah or Diwali or any of the other, the solar festivals, of course, or any of the others. Tradition should only be what makes us feel warm and remembered and part of something larger than our isolated self. So this Christmas, my friends, do what feels right, do what feels safe, and what brings you good feeling as much as you can. Amen. As we enter a time of meditation, I invite you to join in hymn number 224. Please remain seated. Let Christmas come. And there you go. That's a good way to think about all of this. Just let it come. Don't chase it. Don't force it. Just let Christmas come.
These words by Maureen Kaloran, a colleague I've known since student days. A Christmas prayer. Not gold, nor myrrh, nor even frankincense would I have for you this season, but simple gifts, the ones that are the hardest to find, the ones that are perfect, even for those who have everything, if such there be. I would, if I could, have for you the gift of courage, the strength to face the gauntlets only you can name and the firmness in your heart to know that you, yes, you, can be a bearer of the quiet dignity that is the human glorified. I would, if by my intention I could make it happen, have for you the gift of connection, the sense of standing on the hinge of time, touching past and future, standing with certainty that you, yes, you, are the point where it all comes together. I would, if wishing would make it so, have for you the gift of community, the nucleus of love and challenge to convince you in your soul that you, yes, you, are a source of light in a world too long believing in the dark. Not gold, nor myrrh, nor even frankincense would I have for you this season. But simple gifts, the ones that are the hardest to find, the ones that are perfect, even for those who have everything, if such there be. I invite you into a time of silence together.
Our closing hymn this morning, number 226, People Look East, 226. Our chalice is extinguished for this week, but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So carry it with you when you leave this place and share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially with those you've yet to meet. I invite you to join hands and sing Carry the Flame and then take a moment or two to uh, sit down and we'll share a couple of announcements. <laughs>